0: coming up in this episode. We took some real risks with some of the projects we went after and won, but that business is now SIVA, which is a multi-billion dollar business, but it all began in a car park in a port cabin The Logistics Collective podcast is a series focused on the logistics industry, where there are many incredible
1: stories to be told. We'll be speaking with those who've worked and are working within the industry today. What have been their experiences, good and bad, since joining, and would they recommend a career in the industry to others. Here's your host,
0: Malcolm Pope.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of Logistics Collective, the podcast. And today I have the pleasure of the company of Paul Carvel, who is a senior non executive director of the Delivery Group, but also former chairman, chairman of PPS Equipment Holdings Limited, and also non executive director for Gwyneth Shipping. He's had a stellar and interesting career within the logistics industry. He's been chairman of Diamond Group, Senior Vice President of Alexander Proudfoot. He's been CEO of UK Mail. He's worked within TNT. And I had a, a request from one of my uh, senior consulting partners, Tim Folks, who remembered you as Managing Director of Pollitzer all the way back in the TDG times. And given all of that list, the reason that I'm incredibly fond of Paul Calvel is he's a fellow Burkonian. So we're both from Birkenhead originally.
0: So welcome to the program. Thank you very much. So we're today find you i'm in a 500 year old f- farmhouse in uh, shrewsbury just outside shrewsbury where i, I moved in about uh, what four weeks ago three weeks ago yeah.
1: how, how many boxes have you got to unpack
0: we're, we're there we are there you you
1: really uh, have you really have done incredibly well
0: we are genuinely here, yeah. We we kicked off on the day and we worked around the clock before we went on holiday and then when we came back we finished it off, so it's all done. It looks pretty impressive. Fantastic. So, what has working
1: and what does working in the logistics and supply chain industry mean to you?
0: Well, I guess it's it's been my life. It's been everything. It's uh, it's it's been a it's been a source of income and it's allowed me to meet some incredibly bright people. It's allowed me to to travel. It's allowed me to uh, to be part of something uh, in terms of growth and growing businesses, developing businesses, changing businesses. So it's been everything you know, since nineteen seventy six. So um, I guess I owe everything to the logistics and supply chain industry.
1: And you don't look as though you've had uh, a career that goes back as far as nineteen seventy six. I'd put at least, um, you know, I'd say you could get away with saying starting at nineteen eighty six. So you're wearing well, sir.
0: Very kind, Martin. thank you. Could you tell us a little more about what you do now? Okay, well, I guess going back a little bit, back maybe 10 years ago, I decided that the executive day-to-day uh, life was probably not for me. Um, so I'd started becoming, you know, non-exec, taking on non-exec roles. And so today, as, as you as you highlighted, I've got three non-exec roles, which keep me busy enough, but I'm not involved, as it were, in the day-to-day and more the kind of strategic stuff. So um, I enjoy it very much. It's a, it's a nice way of earning a living.
1: So for the uninformed, um, looking at a non-executive director's role, um, in my imagination, you're using your knowledge and experience, your deep knowledge and experience of the industry to try and help and guide um, you know, the board of a company to do better. Would that be
0: fair? That's right. I mean, I, I guess there's typically three facets. One, one is strategy to ensure that there is a strategy, longer term plan for the business. So in addition to the annual budget, you've got some kind of journey that you're on. So I, I guess that's a key role. The second thing is ensuring you've got the right people in the business with the right degree of expertise and competence. And then the third bit really is governance to ensure that the business is running uh, as it should do you know, within the laws of the land, and then the financial laws of the land. So it's it's about people, about strategy, and it's about governance. Thanks, Paul. I, I want to go back in my time machine now, and I
1: want to imagine Paul as a child. And I want to ask, what was your dream job when you were a child? When you started, what did you want to be?
0: Yeah, as a child, if I'm being perfectly honest, I think I wanted to be a musician. And what is it that you wanted to play? Oh, definitely a guitar. Um... Like yourself, you know, Birkenhead, just across the the river from Liverpool. And when I was eight or nine, everywhere you went, it was all music. Everything was about the music. The Beatles had started, all the other groups were forming around the rural and on Merseyside. And um, I just always thought, wow, what a great living, you know, traveling around, playing guitars, um, making music. So if I'm being honest, I, that would have been something I would have loved to have pursued as a career. It never happened. Um, can you, so, can, yeah.
1: you, can you play any musical inter- I instruments? I can, I, yeah,
0: I, I can play guitar and okay. I take lessons every week Fantastic So um, I'm getting better, I'll never be there, but I'm getting better Well, I torture my local cats
1: with my clarinet, so there you go From um, being a an aspirational member of the Merseybeat scene um, To your mm-hmm. first job in
0: logistics and supply chain, what was that? In my f- I, I, when I left for university, I, I was on a graduate training scheme with a company called Lex Service Group. And Lex Service was, by its name, indi- uh, indication. It was, a, it was a group of service industries which included transport, hotels, automotive parts. It had the Volvo franchise for the UK and electronic microchip type stuff. So it was a bit of a conglomerate, a service conglomerate. And I joined the transport side of the business. And having sort of spent about 18 months traveling around different sides of the, of, of the business, I became a marketing analyst. So my first proper job was a marketing analyst, working for the sales and marketing director of Lex Transportation and looking at things like acquisitions, analyzing the market, analyzing trends in the market, based in a tiny office in Hatfield.
1: And um, you obviously a great learning uh, a great learning experience, a lot to cover there, and um, that must have piqued your interest. I mean, what what do you what are you most passionate about now for the industry? What really gets you fired up for the moment?
0: Well, I guess the, the two the two main things that that, that keep copping up. One is the quality of people, getting the right people into the industry with the right skills and the right passion and the right enthusiasm and energy to to drive the business forward. And I think the other area which keeps coming back to me is more collaboration Uh, businesses working together rather than necessarily competing all the time and we've seen some good examples when companies can work together they can create something quite special
1: i mean that would be one of my key uh, reflections really that despite some of the fantastic technology that we do have in place within the logistics industry that sort of connectivity either within a single logistic service provider or across the industry doesn't exist. And so, therefore, we get a lot of inefficiency as a result of
0: that. Exactly. Exactly. and uh, Yeah, and I guess if you look at the retail home delivery, that must be the classic situation where you've got a load of vans, half full, inefficient, following each other up and down people's streets, making no money and reducing the margin. So, yeah, I think collaboration would be a big... A big bull If I if ever I could have more control over the industry,
1: I I'd certainly agree with this. And uh, from a very parochial view, I live in a little cul de sac of five houses, and I did a count one day of how many home delivery vehicles were coming in and out of um, uh, the cul de sac I live. And um, in one day, there were fifteen various sprinter vans and transit vans coming in to make a delivery. Fifteen for. Uh, a very uh, a very small cul-de-sac, which I thought was astounding.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I guess with the growth of home delivery, which is again, I has grown probably since the pandemic. You know, the, the the problem gets bigger for the retailers because they they reduce their margin, as you know, on home delivery shop as opposed to store pickup. And as it's grown, that the impact of that is getting larger and larger. So. um you know, it needs it needs sorting out. It, it is ridiculous that they're all following each other around, all being inefficient. Someone can't come to grips with that.
1: So, if we waved
0: a magic wand and we put you in control, what would you do? I'd get all the all the key players around the table, and yep. um, you know, with some kind of Chatham House type rule, you know, and just get get the debate going of how they can work more clearly together whilst at the same time maintaining their competitive edge for the consumer.
1: I certainly agree with you, Paul. I think this is a challenge for the future. It's not just, let's say, within contract or within company optimization if were to take on successfully the the challenge of climate change we have got to start thinking outside of the box
0: so i absolutely right. agree with the approach or suggested approach that you would take right. and i'm much sure the consumer ultimately is that worried which van turns up outside no. as long as it's got the right product in the right at the right temperature or in the right quantity and there hasn't been too much substitution i i don't generally think that they would be that concerned no and i think um, an,
1: an awful lot of delivery well i know lot of the vehicles delivering certainly to to ourselves are non-liveried anyway, they're white vans. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Big
1: charge. So thinking across a stunning career, what's been your best career
0: experience so far? You know, I was thinking about this. There's a couple of things which I look back on with, with great pride and enjoyed both, I guess, equally, but from a different perspective. The first one was back in the late 80s when a small group of us were, were running something called TNT Contract Services. Okay. And we operated out of a pulser cabin in a car park in Atherston in the Midlands. And um, we were the kind of the tiny division of the parcels industry. So, yeah, TNT was well known for its parcels and its same day and its international. A group of us were brought in to run something called TNT Contract Services, which was a fledgling logistics business, third party logistics business. And that team was quite unique. And... We took some real risks with some of the projects we went after and won. But that business is now Siva. Wow. Which is a multi billion dollar business. Yeah. Um, but it all began in a car park in a porter cabin.
1: I never appreciated that because, I mean, in the past, I've had Siva as a, a logistics service provider and also um, a, a global freight forwarder uh, working mm-hmm. for me. So. Um... Uh, I now understand a little bit more about where it came from. And I think it's that entrepreneurial spirit, that I think, that we need to capture and have more yeah. of within the industry.
0: I agree. And I remember we, we, we kicked off with two automotive contracts, which we kind of got because of the overnight parts delivery. Uh, Cowan Gates, the baby food. And literally from there, we just went into the brewery industry with Boddington's. We went into the retail industry with Budgin's. We went into the wines and spirits industry with a number of different companies, and just basically sp- spread the the skill base across a number of different sectors with some some innovation, some automation, some technology, and um, that business grew rapidly. And as I say, eventually ended up as Siva. Second most enjoyable bit was CEO of Business Post, which was latterly named UK Mail, is now owned by DHL. But in my day, it was a it was a one trick pony. It was a on the stock market, the two brothers, the Kane brothers, still held the majority of the shares, but there was a, a fair degree of, of free float in the market, and the share price was about one twenty-five. Um, and over a five-year period, we turned that share price to about £7. Wow. Launched five divisions, one of which was home delivery, which was, again, pretty innovative for its time, and um, went on to become a very, very successful business. And the reason I enjoyed it was because of the different hats you had to wear. Because you had 5,000 employees, so you clearly were managing a business. You had um, the city with the expectations that the city has for businesses. And you had the shareholders who were, you know, clearly absolutely uh, focused on, on their dividends. So I found that one of the most interesting jobs I've ever done because you were constantly wearing different hats. Even though it was the same business, you were looking at it from three different angles. And that was, yeah, I enjoyed that. that as but just about five years, I think. And um, yeah, that, that's, that's probably the one I look back on and think, wow, we, what a great job we did.
1: If you were reflecting on the, the sort of positives and negatives of getting involved with the city as
0: such, what would your thoughts be on that? Well, the positive is is access to funds. I mean, if you need to develop a business, if you need to grow it, if you need capital, if you need expertise, then being on the stock market, you know, all that is available to you. So that's a very positive side, and obviously financially, it can be very, very rewarding if you're a shareholder. Sure. Um, the negative is the short-termism. Yes, it is a very, very thin line between success and failure. And I think the lesson I learned was, you know, you better keep your numbers down and beat them. Rather than be too ambitious and fall marginally short. Sure. If you were marginally short, you would be absolutely caned. So the message is under promise over deliver always. Exactly. Yeah, and they and they, they and they get they get that. Yeah. They don't they don't like surprises. So um yeah, that was a that was an interesting thing. Very, very short term. And a lot of the people you spoke to in the city had no idea what we were doing. I mean <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was shining at the la- the lack of research and 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 uh, preparation that some of these investors had put into the meetings.
1: Do Do you think the sector is undervalued? Because I, I I reflect on it, my view is that it is because you know the wonders of if you like, let's say Amazon. Um, mm. I look at that, the reality of it is, and say, fantastic achievements. Yes, it's got its pluses and minuses. Every single business activity does, mm-hmm. but it's. A logistics platform with a, if you like, a self-serve marketing website on the front of it that allows you to buy, and so therefore it gets, um, you know, a massive valuation, and yet we look at most of the capabilities of Amazon have existed in the market for a long time. Yeah. I just wonder in terms of, you know, the uh,
0: how, we, how we value our logistics industry. Well, I have to say, I think some of the valuations that are out there at the moment are pretty racy. I, I'd agree with you. Some years ago, I think the kind of multiples that logistics, transport-type businesses were getting were pretty low. You know, we're talking three, four times, five times EBITDA. Incredible. But now, I mean, you, you've only got to look at what uh, Clipper has been sold for, pure play, e-com, uh, fulfillment business with the return to bolt-on. Sure. Yeah, GXO are paying something or XPO. I forget which one it was. GXO. paying some. Yeah, they're paying something like a billion, a billion dollars for it. Yeah, that is incredible. And and therefore, I think the the expertise and the skill and the intellectual property and the technology that's in, in embedded in the modern day logistics business is now being valued uh, alongside its peers, and is no longer the Aunt Sally of the industry, which it certainly was when I joined it. Same view from me. So, we've talked about the best. Um, What might be your worst career experience, if you'd talk about it? My worst career experience is with the old TDG, Uh Transport Development Group, when I was indeed, as you alluded to, the MD of Pollitzer. And we had had a warehouse which we'd operated for one of the breweries, and it was in Enfield, and it was a regional distribution centre, and it won every accolade that could be thrown at it. It was always winning, you know, awards for the best this and the quickest that and the best quality. and It it was just a beautiful operation in Enfield and um, was looking after the kind of southeast of England for for the brewery. And then they decided they wanted a national distribution centre. They were going to do away with the regionals and go national. So we as an an incumbent regional player were given the opportunity to go and tender for the national distribution centre. And we won it. That's the good news. And we managed to find a warehouse in Daventry, which had been an old Argos warehouse. It was enormous. Uh-huh. I don't know how big it was. it was. It was massive. But it needed to be to hold the national stock for this brewer. Sure. Um, so we decided, you know, a part of our approach would be technology, that we'd have onboard computing on the forklift trucks. We would use all the modern-day uh, technology that existed. I'm going back into the 90s here. And... um so we, we found the warehouse. We'd done the warehouse design and plan. We'd got the latest technology. We had a wonderful um, rollout plan to gradually start taking stock into the warehouse so that we could get all the training done for the onboard computers and the, and the forklift drivers and everyone else. So it was a beautiful plan. Absolutely worked out to precision. And it was kind of just pre-summer, sort of early summer. And Paul, it, it's all sounding pretty wonderful so far. It is, and, and I'm and I'm thinking, wow, this is a big job. We're going to make a lot of money. Um, TDG are going to love Beck and Pulitzer, and we had our management team in place. And then the sun shone. It was it was it was like a heat wave suddenly happened, and the brewery rang our GM, who'd only been in the job for about three weeks, and asked him, could he take in a bit of stock because they were running out of. Capacity. Ooh, hey. So he said, you know, trying to please the customer, which at the end of the day, you know, one has to do. For he sure. He said, yeah, we, we've got plenty of space here. Uh, we can take a few, you know, a bit of stock in. Anyway, I got a call to say, Paul, you better come down to Daventry. So why? He said, because you can't move. There's Eddie Stobart vehicles parked all the way from our warehouse <laughs> down to the M1. <laughs> <laughs> so I... So I jumped into my motor car and, and went down to Daventry <laughs> from Coles Hill where our head, head office was. And sure enough, I you could not move. There was a tail of Stobart vehicles all the way back. And they were being unloaded. I mean, it wasn't they weren't standing still. They were being unloaded. And when I went into the warehouse, you couldn't move for pallets of booze. <laughs> and I spoke to the GM and I said, you know, well, the good news is, you know, you've kept the customer happy. The bad news is, do we know where everything is? That's the thing. And he said, I've got to say, Paul, I am the clue. He said, these things have just been turning up. We've been unloading them and we've been putting them. And the guys on the computers, on the, on the forklift trucks, are moving around quickly, but we haven't got a clue. And uh, it got worse. I mean, the more that came in, the worse it got. So I had to ring the guy who ran the brewery, which was, the worst task I've ever done, And said, "Look, you've got to stop it. We can't take any more in. He said, well we' we've got nowhere else to put it. i said unless you turn the tap off, we're never going to get this warehouse up and running. It, it, it's full now, and, and frankly, we haven't even started the contract. So um they all came up in their posh cars, and sure enough, they could see for themselves that uh, there's no capacity. We'd basically fill the shed uh, with pallets of boost. and unless they stopped it and then we could literally, Reposition the stock into the right allocation areas. Then this was going to be a disaster, and it was losing thirty thousand pound a week, which was a lot in those days. It certainly was. So um, that was that was the worst experience ever. I mean, it, it had everything. It had happenstance in terms of the the uh, the weather, new management, new systems, helping a customer. I mean, a lot of positives, but frankly, the whole thing was a disaster. And it took us about a month, I think, to clear everything out so that we could start the thing for real but lost a lot of money in the process
1: as things go a month's recovery from something like that um uh, whilst i can i can imagine the discomfort it doesn't yeah. it it feels like a reasonable recovery
0: performance to me oh it, it was magical i mean full compliments to to the staff because they worked round the clock we moved our head office we met we we moved the back and policy head office down to Daventry such was the importance of getting it right so Everyone who and anyone was was based down there for the best part of, I don't know, six weeks or something, just to fix it. And uh, we did fix it and it became a very successful contract, but um, it was just a nightmare. It was like having toothache, you know, day in, day um, (laughs) out.
1: You need a sense of humor. And losing money
0: to boot, which is never (laughs) No, it's never never good. No, it's never good. So who's inspired you um, most in your career? There's a a few people, Malcolm, I mean, when you've been around 46 years, obviously you've you've met a lot of interesting people and inspirational people. I think uh, going back 30 years or so, people like Alan Jones, Colin Milbanks, people running the parcel businesses in those days, they were innovators, they were creative, they were trying things out, they were inventing new services, they were creating stuff from virtually nothing. Uh, and looking around the world at other, at other operators to see what they were up to and emanating them and introducing new services to the UK. So I think there was a group like that. Um, people like John Harvey, who had Tibbet in Britain and, you know, they were creating new stuff. For sure. Um, and and still are, you know, they're still playing much part and parcel of the industry and, and wonderful people to meet and to listen to. Um, so, I was lots of them. There's a guy called Brian Bowler. I worked with uh, both at uh, TNT and also GE Capital, which was the Penske operation. Brian was a, an amazing team builder, team player, creator. So, I've met some wonderful people. Sadly, these days, there's less of them around. Yeah. And there were, those days, you know, that these guys were innovators, they were creative, and they took risks. I think these days, there's less of those kind of people around. How how do we connect the wisdom
1: of the generations? Because there's it's it's that sort of groundhog day effect. Because quite often I I look at the industry and said uh, you know you you do things to to move to improvement and then you might go back somewhere say twenty years later. For me, it was about putting best practice in terms of uh, performance management and relationship management, and then you'll you'll go back, have the opportunity to go and reflect back 20 years later, and you see that all of the good practice has evaporated. Mm -hmm. Um, How how do we actually ensure that, if you like, those that are coming into the industry have the benefit of the the wonderful experience and wisdom of those that have been here for a long time?
0: (laughs) Well, I I guess uh, the board system of having non-execs you know people who are experienced but are not involved necessarily in the day-to-day but have been through a whole series of recessions inflation you know transport being at the back end of the queue to being at the front
1: um so the reality is what we're facing now a lot of us have seen very similar perhaps in a yeah, different yeah. form before and we learned how to
0: cope with it exactly i remember in the pre-COVID conversations, we, you know, we were wondering how we were going to cope, and, and because I remember the three-day working week and things like that, you know, we were able to put ideas on the table that had no one in none of the youngsters had ever come across; they'd never experienced it. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, without making it sound a like far the time, I think a combination of the youth and energy and expertise, uh, and particular technological expertise of the of the new generation, coupled with the experience of people who've seen the ups and downs of, of industry on a macro scale and the micro scale. I think a combination of the two is a very useful thing. And the role of the non-exec, therefore, in that in, in that situation, I think is, is important.
1: I'd, I'd agree with you. Certainly, it's important for within the business you're non-exec for. But right. I do have a question in my mind more broadly across the industry uh, as to how that might happen. But we can't solve everything. Mm. No, you can't. Yeah. So, Paul, thinking perhaps about the more recent past, um, have there been particular challenges that you've had to address and you really bring solutions and rapid solutions? Because we're, we're living in what seems to be a more volatile and on occasion slightly crazy world. Is is is
0: there any reflection that you have on that? Interesting. And it's an interesting case study. Yeah. Um, just at, at the beginning of COVID, it was March the 23rd, I was invited to chair a committee with Deloitte's and all manner of the good and the great. And it was all around testing, the, the COVID's testing requirements. The government clearly needed to have a, some kind of benchmark and, and they had, uh, were trying to find ways of doing a controlled collection operation of COVID tests so they could monitor what was going on across the country. And it became quite apparent to me that the, the scale of it was such that no one company could do it. It required a collaborative uh, venture. So I rang all this, the CEOs and NDs of the various parcel carriers around the UK, and I'm pleased to say they, they all took the call, despite the fact they were very busy with online uh, deliveries. And I explained that we were trying to set up a, an operation that would collect uh covid tests across the country and that um we'd be part of something very special in terms of determining the r level uh, across the country they all they all said bar 1 they all said yes wonderful and so and so essentially we pulled together these carriers um the delivery group put together an it platform um and literally we were able to undertake tens of thousands of collections on a daily basis of samples and in my experience it's the first time that the industry the parcel industry had ever worked together to a common goal we alluded to right at the beginning about the competitive nature of the industry sure but this was the first time you know these companies were going to work together with us with tdg collating the whole operation centrally um so that was the great news, and, and we were all very excited about the fact that everyone was, was going to do their part. And I remember just before it was about to go live, we were told it had to be done under cold chain conditions. And that was something we had never planned for. But thankfully, with the with our experience and our contacts, we were able to pull together um, millions of, of ice boxes and, and industrial f- uh, freezers and... Uh, units that can that can keep the temperature between two and eight. but um, Literally in, within the space of a few weeks we were up and running with a, a national cold chain operation um, for the first time ever and it was a great success and, and you could see it on the TV you know each time with the study happened. the R number would be used and, and that R number was coming from the collection samples that we were doing as a consortium. In fact, we actually called it the Carrier consortium, and it was a great success and gives me a lot of hope that the industry can work together um, for the common good. What
1: lessons do you think were learned as a result of this collaboration? Because collaborations
0: can be tough. I think you play to strengths. Um, you know, certain carriers are have strengths in certain parts of the UK. Uh, they have different volume uh, dynamics. So it was, we were literally trying to play the strengths of each of the carriers and um, not overloading them in areas where they were under pressure themselves so it was it was really about listening to where they were strong where they were less strong and um, and making sure that the collection um, operation reflected that so it was just listening really and making sure we 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 worked within their within their resource levels and their capacities and the computer system we had was able to do that on a on a daily basis um, so it's like scheduling dynamically, if you like. Yeah,
1: we, we don't reflect sometimes on what logistics and supply chain does. And we, we don't reflect on occasion. The work that we do is, some of it is about actually keeping people well and keeping them alive. And so it's notable. And... Certainly from uh, my little old self, I'd like to say thank you to you and um, all the delivery group and all that were part of the consortium. um, Thank you for working together because clearly it made a
0: difference. It it did. And I think if, you know, if ever, God forbid, it it happened again, we've got a template and we could could get it up and running, you know, in very short shift, I think.
1: Uh, it's interesting it is interesting I mean I, i've I've always been a great proponent of um, you know of collaboration um because it just is in my view providing that you've got the rule book of how to collaborate in place it's a great way of doing better more sustainably more efficiently and um, I, 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 I truly applaud it so thank you thank you so what do you wish you had known when you'd started your career in logistics?
0: I wish I'd have, I'd have known how important it was going to be. I mean, I alluded to it earlier, most of my family went to sea. So my involvement, my interest in what we call logistics was really my interest in transport and specifically my interest in shipping because my, my father and my uncles, they all went to sea. Liverpool, as you know, Birkenhead was a shipping port with the Blue Funnel Line, Alfred Holt Clan Line. Oh, there was they're all there. And yeah, my my, so,
1: my own father was on T.J. Harrison as a, there you as an engineer.
0: And, yeah, I mean, it was it was a it was a big shipping port, and I suppose at the end, of the, I was always kind of quite interested in that side of what we now know as, as supply chain management logistics. But I, I never realised back in 76, 77, 78, That what we were doing was going to be such an important and integral part of where we are now. It really was the back end of of most people's thought processes. It wasn't driving anything. It was responding to the marketeers and people like that. And who'd have thought that now these businesses like Amazon, etc., just wouldn't exist if they didn't have a good logistical operation or supply chain. So I wish I'd have known how important it was going to be what i would have done differently i don't know by the way but it would have been nice (laughs) to know this is i'm 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 part of something here it's going to be really important in 20 30 years time
1: i mean i think that's notable and i i I sort of i've shared um through a different lens but i've come to uh, a similar perspective in terms of that and i think what's been achieved perhaps in the last couple of decades has been phenomenal, yeah. but now we need to do it with a conscience. And I, I think that's the real challenge. I think there's a lot of greenwashing that occurs out there. And I think there's an awful lot of looking at what we've done in the rear view mirror instead of looking forward and saying, how can we create something that is more sustainable and better? And yeah. I, I think that's the challenge for the coming generations is to maintain that Omni-channel position, but do it ever more sustainably. Oh, great! I agree, and
0: and it, and it's a difficult one. I mean, if you you know you got to think about the truck the, the the trucks until you can get a truck that's capable of doing a full shift and carrying you know forty odd ton. It's 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 difficult, isn't it? Because
1: it, 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 it is. Your workhorse. It, no is. one's
0: invented a new workhorse yet to no. a point where you
1: can use it. And I, I, I think, to a large extent, you my, my observation of the industry is that it tends to get stuck in the ruts of. Again, I said Groundhog Day before, but it is uh, you know it, it's repeatable repeatable patterns. And I think the introduction of more intelligence, whether it be human or artificial within the industry, would be a help to that. But OK, you might have a truck that has a, a range between refueling of, say, 500 miles, might be 800 miles, depends on the size of the fuel tank. A battery-powered vehicle in the interim is not going to have that. So Mm -hmm. what do you do? Well, actually, you look at more trailer exchanges. You look at the algorithms of your transport management system and begin to change them. I think there's a double opportunity within that, which says if an industry is struggling to recruit drivers because fundamentally the job does not seem attractive, change the form of the job to be attractive, which means going into your your uh, management systems and beginning to think about it more broadly and this is some of the thinking you were putting together within Lagura at the moment we're quite interested in this area I fully understand so Uh, what's one lesson doing your job has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their life
0: I mean, we, we, we talk about transport, logistics, supply chain, all the modern terminology, but ultimately it's a service industry. It forms part of business services and business services are all about people. It doesn't matter, you know, the technology is there. It's fantastic. You know, the, the truck technology is fantastic and getting better. The warehouse technology is getting better. We've now got drones. We've now got, you know, uh, robots. I mean, we, it, it's fantastic what's been achieved, but ultimately you have still got to have good quality people and good teams. And that's not going to change. And I think, you know, investment in people, investment in training, development, building teams is absolutely critical because without that, all the technology in the world isn't going to make a business any more successful.
1: So I want to ask a very wise man, an interesting question. If you could start a business
0: tomorrow, what would the business be? Do you know, I've t- I've taken a great fancy to recently. Um, go on i'd still be in the logistics industry because i think that's kind of where i'm at but i i think bicycles delivering <laughs> product on bikes you know we talked about sustainability I, I i've seen a number of operations over the past year or two and they're fantastic you know what people are doing these days in in urban uh, urban environments with bikes doing final mile delivery i i'd, I'd love to you know to to set up a, a national bike delivery business, you know, because they're all... They're would, all... would
1: everybody be on a chopper, though?
0: Well, I, I don't know about the choppers, but um, <laughs> there's some very good bikes around, and you've got the e-bikes, and, you know, they, they can get more deliveries done than, a, than an average van in London. Um, so, yeah, if I, gonna, if I was literally going to do something new, I, would, I think I'd be personally investing in a national bike delivery operation. Running within sort of five miles of most town centres, um, and then you get the consolidation of delivery. You get the efficiency. You've got the low cost. You've got sustainability and environmentally friendly. You're giving employment to people who are keeping them fit. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's that, that's that's something I'm I'm fascinated by, and I think we'll see a lot more of over the coming years. I shall watch out for you on your bicycle. Mm. So.
1: In the last few minutes of the interview, I'd I'd really like to focus on giving advice to people considering a career in logistics. So I have a question for you. Do you think it's a good idea for people to consider the logistics and supply chain industry as a
0: top three career choice? And if you do, why? Well, yeah, in terms of top three, I'm not sure what the other two would be, but um, it has never been more important and is becoming significantly more important as as an industry. So if you're going to do something that's relevant, that's relevant to commercial, financial and environmental kind of traits, then logistics is going to have to be the industry to be in. And we alluded to earlier on about the the Amazons of this world, but they're fundamentally logistics businesses. And so, yeah, I I would say if you want to get be a part of something that's exciting, that's relevant, then logistics has to be in the top three. Thanks for that, Paul. So... What advice would you give to somebody
1: just starting out? How, how would somebody that's really interested in a career in, in logistics, how would they find out more?
0: I have to say, I, I've, always been, I've been a part of it for many years and I've uh, been on various committees over the years. Uh, but I, I would think the Chartered Institute of Logistics and Transport would be the go-to uh, place. For sure, it was really helpful in the early part of my career yeah i mean you you know you are working you know if you get involved with it you're around people who are running really important businesses and, and companies you're learning from them you're getting involved with them uh there's the educational side there's the career side there's the recruitment side i mean it's everything is there um, so, if I was giving any advice, I'd say you know, just sign up. It's not expensive to join, and you will be part of an industry and feel a part of an industry that um, will propel your career. Whatever direction you want it to go. And I think you'd
1: agree with me it is a superb industry to work within. Um, it's very connected. The word um, family is often uh, is is often used, but I think within the logistics industry, it does apply. I, I I've seen a huge amount of. Uh, kindness and support from people within the industry through my career
0: yeah I I, I think there's a lot of respect for each other Uh, and I I think that's important isn't it yeah I I like the family thing but there's a lot of competition in the industry there always has been doesn't matter we in parcels or mail or supply chain logistics transport shipping uh, you know there's a lot of competition but there is a respect and I find that Important, you know, you may be talking to your competitors, but there is a respect in in this industry, and um, long may it continue.
1: Paul, on that note, I'd like to thank you so much for uh, agreeing to be interviewed today. I've really enjoyed our conversation. I think you're one of the industry's um, stars. I, you know, I've watched you uh, from a distance and more closely in terms of what you've done throughout, and I think you can. You should be reflecting back and saying, Well, wow, uh, this has been a a wonderful ride. So, thank you. Thank you so much for being part of this. Thank you very much, Malcolm. It's been a delight to talk to you. Thank you very much. So, uh, if anybody wants to uh, find out more about the people that we interview across the industry, please feel free to go to www.logisticscollective.com. We now have a new platform for all of our podcasts. You can set alerts to when we're Issuing new interviews. There's one just about to come out shortly. And um, we support all of the uh, most common podcast platforms as well. I hope you've enjoyed this latest edition of Logistics Collective, the podcast, and I look forward to talking to you again in the near future. You can get in contact by email, podcast at logisticscollective.com, or leave a voice message on our website, logisticscollective.com. The
0: podcast is a production by Laguru.